Good morning from wherever you are or good evening. I don't know what time zone we are talking about here. This had to be recorded because as you know, I'm loyal to you. I told you I'm going to do the Monday to Thursday, 9 a.m. Coffee time with Carlos Machado. I'll start this podcast. I will start this broadcast and I will make it as it is. So here we are, since I'm loyal to you and you are loyal to me, I've seen some of you coming back consistently. Let's get some of the things out of the way. Coffee Time with Carlos Machado is a get-together for us to chat about things that matter. Sometimes they matter more, sometimes they matter less, but in the end, on this interaction between us, uh, we all come with some good outcome, good positive thoughts. Uh, And I'm going to spill some success stories uh, based upon the few days that we started this podcast and this broadcast. For the podcast, you guys have to understand, we got our sponsor. That is my duty to present to you often enough until you hear me. The St. Jude Miracle Oil, developed by a very scholar, nutritionist, uh, and a person that has incredible knowledge of nutrition, research, and health-related items, in particular to joint issues. If you are a jiu-jitsu practitioner, if you are an athlete, if you're a couch potato, I don't care who you are, you need to always watch out for your joints. We don't take some supplements sometimes, which we're going to have Professor William Vandry invited at one point in time to talk about that. But in the meantime, the Miracle Oil, you can check. They have a Facebook page. You just go on the search on your Facebook, St. Jude Miracle Oil. And you're going to see informative uh, page on testimonials of people that have used the product. I am one of them, and it's a very uh, interesting blend of oils that uh, has incredible smell. It helps you get rid of allergies when you sniff it, uh, you rub on your hands. That's one of the things you can do, but there's several other applications that uh, you're going to figure out as you uh, get get to use it. So you guys here with me, the Miracle Oil, so let's get that out of the way. That's the sponsors of... The Coffee Time with Carlos Machado. Now, what's up now is we have some events we have to get out of the way. For some of you who may not have seen my fan page, if you haven't liked my Carlos Machado fan page yet, if you haven't gone to my Instagram, it's okay. Your friends have done that. They already have the information I have on schedule. If you haven't subscribed yet or shared the news about my podcast, it's okay. If you like it and you use the information soon enough, you're going to be convinced and be able to convince others. As long as I spread the message and you guys like what I hear and make use of positive information, we're all on the same page. So uh, I have a training camp I'm doing on May 19th. May 19th happens to be a Friday. From 9 to 12 in the morning and from 2 to 5 in the afternoon. And also on Saturday, the 20th of May, the same schedule. And then Sunday, just in the morning, 9 to 12, we're going to go over every possible strategy, uh, setups, and aspects of jiu-jitsu in competition. And a lot of people, sometimes they get fit, they get technical, but they're not mentally prepared. Sometimes they have their game like in the fingertips. They're ready to go, but they don't know how to deal with stalling. Sometimes they compete in different weight divisions. Let's say you're a lightweight or a middleweight, and you want to kind of give it a try on the open class and fight against some big old boys. So you're going to have to figure out the strategy game 
that goes along with uh, the competition in jiu-jitsu, in particular jiu-jitsu. Because unfortunately these days, you see a lot of great matches, but you see a lot of matches that have no business being there because of the fact the fighters manage the fight based upon the advantages and the scoring system, and they don't look for the real moves. They kind of cook the fight, and then they burst here and there, and then you know they work with the clock. So it's not the most exciting thing for you as uh, somebody watching a match or participating in a match when somebody's just fooling around, scoring an advantage, which is not even a point, and then trying to hold you back and stall you. So get some knowledge also on that part. We're going to cover that on day two. Uh, if any of you want more information, like I said, go to my Carlos Machado fan page. There's an online registration link that you can click, and it's going to give you the spill on pre-registration discounted rates. Uh, I think there's a cutoff date early May, so you might act, actually get the early bird. Uh, I only have 30 spots. I don't want a full crowd because I want to really concentrate on those that are really interested. It's going to be at the Farmers Branch Academy, RCJ Machado Farmers Branch Academy in Dallas. Uh, if you want to check the website link, rcjmjj.com. All right. Okay, with that said, we have one more thing here, another training camp. This time is not in Dallas. This time is in the country of Brazil, my homeland, and in an island called Florianópolis, which is the capital of the state of Santa Catarina. You know what the nickname of Florianópolis is? The Hawaii of Brazil. It's a short line that goes and it's divided in 42 different beaches, and it's an amazing view. You have a surfer's paradise. You have, like, calm water for babies to float with their moms. And you have everything in between. That particular camp is arranged at the Costão do Santinho. It's one of the nicest prime real estates in Florianópolis. And the participants will have the lodging. They will have a lot of transportation. They have some meals already included and the training. Guess who's going to be teaching at those events? But we're going to have my brother, Higan Machado. And Higan Machado is going to be followed by Damian Maya, the current top three, I believe, contender in the UFC welterweight division. Later on, we're going to verify that. What is uh, Damian Maya's current rank on the UFC? I don't want to mislabel here. I know that my uh, brother-in-law, Stephen Thompson, uh, despite the fact he had the... the majority decision uh, in favor of Tyrone Woodley the last time they fought in March still uh, I think I think uh, yeah just give me a second here my, again my reference situated Damian Maia's current rank on the waterweight is he three yeah we're gonna get to that in just a bit so Damian Maia as you know is one of the best jiu-jitsu fighters in the entire roster of the UFC. The guy has an amazing game, and uh, he's been, you know, despite the fact he's not like uh, in his 20s anymore, he's in his mid-30s, he's still up there going against the big guns and uh, performing at a peak level. So, uh, but that's okay. We're going to pull that off in just a second. Uh, okay, so you have Hegan, and then you have Damian Maia. Uh, you have my cousin, Hanzo Gracie, who has the most successful uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school in the state of New York, in the city of New York. 
He's going to be making a special appearance and showing some cool stuff. Last time I went to Hanson Academy was in November last year when Conor McGregor had fought uh, Eddie Alvarez. He was showing me some cool uh, move. I like the butterfly guard. He loves the butterfly guard. We used to train together back in Brazil. And he was telling me, oh, Carlos, if you grab the guy's neck like this, you know, it's going to just make sweeter. It's kind of like a mix of a headlock with a hook flip. So you guys shouldn't miss that opportunity. And to close the deal, uh, one of my dearest cousins, his name is Crawling Gracie. He's a current coral belt. And then he's going to be ranked even higher than that, the coral with the white stripe. And uh, it's a very remarkable occasion. It's going to be tons of knowledge. The price, I don't even want to tell you because if I do, uh, some people just on airfare alone pay more than what the training uh, camp fee will be. Uh, this is just the first of many, I guess, camps that are planned in the future. You know, most, you know, a lot of people in Brazil have done these camps at different places, but I don't think anybody has done one like this with the caliber of the people who are going to be teaching and also in the piece of paradise on earth which is the island of Florianopolis. So the link is also on my Carlos Machado fan page. You just check check out the camp. And I, uh, you know, if you, if you just type thecamp.com, you know, that's the website, www, of course, dot thecamp.com. It's going to take you there. But just to make sure you get, you know, uh, all the inside information, go to my fan page. Okay, with that said, that out of the way, we're going to kind of go to it. This is episode eight. We're going to talk about something here. I mentioned earlier the word loyalty. And what do we understand about loyalty? We talk about the relationship between uh, one person and another, the relationship of a group towards a leader. And somebody has to have faith and belief on somebody. Somebody has to have the trust that they can follow that person. And that person, on the other hand, has to have all the attributes to provide the base, the reassurance that that trust is to be preserved. And, uh, you know, it's common. I got a, a lot of times if you talk about martial arts, you know, uh, or sports in general. Let's take, for instance, the biggest soccer rivalry in the world. Two teams from Spain... They are amongst the, the biggest soccer teams in the entire world. As a matter of fact, they are the top two highest, most valuable sport franchises in the world. They are rated above in terms of price value uh, than uh, uh, the Cowboys or the, the football teams here, the, base, the Yankees. When you talk about Real Madrid and Barcelona, if a player plays for Barcelona – there's such a rivalry between Barcelona and Real Madrid because Barcelona is in the Catalan uh, state. Catalan is it's kind of like a, a big area for the proportion of the size of Spain. Catalonia, what they call. And it has always been somewhat of a separatist or an independent-minded you know, uh, area where they want to succeed from the remaining part of Spain and become an independent country themselves. Here in Texas, we have that too. We have... You know, Texans are very proud of their state, and they a lot of times they vote uh, when uh, they had the previous, you know, uh, presidents. You know, they were kind of fed up with some of the policies, and, and lo and behold, that issue was revisited on and on. 
But just to make a long story short, Real Madrid is part of uh, Madrid, you know, is, is based in Madrid, which is the capital of Spain. So all the people, the citizens from that part of the country, they are very much in pro of keeping the country united. And then you have Barcelona, which is the capital of Catalonia, uh, Catalonia, I'm sorry. And they are very proud as well. And they, when they go against Real Madrid, it's usually the most amazing soccer. But if you play for one of those teams, it's not very easy or it's actually very rare that the players, if they are to be sold, that they jump from one team to the other. They have that sense of loyalty to where they start playing. Now, translating that feeling to an academy, you know, people see the academy as a team, as a group. And although it's very common nowadays, and I don't have a problem with people trying to expand their horizons and experiment here and there, going and training with different training partners, whether they are from your same academy or, or whether they are from other academies, you know, if you're in pursuit of knowledge, you know, you know, but you know where you belong. You know, not just hopping around and just staying a bit here, a bit there, and not belonging anywhere. I think, you know, if you are a man of no land when it comes to martial arts, you're going to lack a bit the support and you're going to be somebody that will be looked at as somebody who is not trustworthy because they feel you're just coming to take, you're not staying long enough to give back, you know. And so that's one of the things. But uh, in regards to blind loyalty, and that's the issue that I want to talk about, is a lot of times you see themes in movies. Uh, I can tell you, for instance, if you haven't watched yet, you got to take a look at A Bronx Tale. This is a classic. You know, it has Robert De Niro and an incredible cast. And the whole theme behind the plot was the fascination of this youngster who was played uh, by uh, an, uh, excuse me, he was played by uh, Lorenzo Anello. Anello. Lorenzo Anello was, uh, or actually was the character of Robert De Niro, uh, Calogero Anello. I'm kind of here, I'm a little confused with the actor's name, the kid. We're going to find out that. C, was his nickname, C. C, his nickname was C. But uh, there's uh, He's the son of Robert De Niro. Yeah, yeah. Do you know his name as a real name? His real name, what it was? Uh, because I, I put here Anello. Lorenzo Nello was the dad, Robert De Niro's character, and the kid was Calogero Nello, but what was his real name? <laughs> We're going to get to it in a second. And uh, Sonny, who is the mobster. Lilo Brancato. Lilo Brancato. Lilo, Lilo Brancato. That's the name I was looking for. So Lilo, Lilo's character, Calogero, was this son of an Italian immigrant, hardworking dad that was a, a bus driver, you know, had humble beginnings. And then you have Sonny, who's a mobster. And he has all, everybody appeasing to him, kissing his hand. Everywhere he went, everybody was like, oh, treating him like God. And uh, the guy, of course, you know, if you're up in that role of a mobster, you have your friends, you have your enemies, and uh, you have a way to deal with things. And sometimes you deal, you know, the average way. Sometimes you deal the hard way. And... Uh, the little kid started to go to the bar and watch the gamble. He became kind of like a helper. And uh, the character of Sandy, you know, the mobster, the big boss, kind of befriended and became kind of like a, a second dad to uh, Lilo, you know, Lilo's character. 
And in the whole process, you see Robert De Niro trying to talk to his son because he saw his son kind of steering away and maybe kind of getting to that idea of following on the footsteps of the gangster's lifestyle instead of trying to work hard and follow through with the culture that he came uh, with from being an immigrant in the beginning, you know, of uh, his dad's uh, career and life in the United States after they came from Italy. And you have the whole kind of contrast right there. And he had, he's fascinated by the power, how Sonny, although he is a very violent character at, at times, he's really always there for the people who are really truly his friends, you know. But in the story, as the plot evolves, uh, one thing that, you know, really kind of awakens everybody is the character of the mobster was not loved. It was mostly feared. And this was a question that uh, Lilo made at the time, Lilo's character. He said, do you prefer to be loved loved, or to be feared? And the mobster said, I prefer to be feared, you know, uh, instead of loved. And, and, and he kind of remembered that, but it was kind of a contradiction to him because he still had... You know, that's, you know, that kind of tight family, you know, from his Italian background, the kid. And uh, he was kind of second-guessing a bit the answer of the mobster. And, of course, it comes to a point that the mobster is betrayed. And uh, at one point in time, when uh, he gets killed, you know, and I'm not trying to spoil the plot. Sorry, guys. Spoiler. Uh, the kid has to deal with the reality. He was devastated because the, the mob boss was like a family member to him. He was like his, kind of like his godfather. And, uh, and then he sees in his casket, you know, he's laying there, his corpse, you know, in the service, you know, the funeral. And he sees all these different people paying, paying respect to the, you know, dead mobster. And he observes everybody, and he doesn't see anybody really sad or really missing the mobster. I guess they were more of performing a function. Uh, and then there was only one person, the character of Joe P Pesci, Joe Pesci, that uh, was a true loyal friend. He was with the mobster until the end. And after that, Robert De Niro, the dad, came along and tried to console his son, you know, because he understood the son was close to the mobster, and, uh, but at the, at the same time, the, the son realizes that what the dad was trying to tell all along, you know, that you gotta be loved, not feared. You know, that's what life is really all about. You know, if you're feared, once you don't, once you don't have your power anymore, once you cannot threaten anybody anymore, people will just either steer away from you or they're gonna try to take you out. But when you're loved, there's no such a thing. You know, you always have the support of people at any given time, good or bad. So going back now to the point that I wanted to make about blind loyalty, when somebody follows somebody, what is the message that the person who is being the leader is passing on? You know what I'm saying? The, the message is, I'm good for you, I'm good for the cause, but I don't care about anybody. The cause is what matters. And it kind of separates the well-being of the followers 
to the vision that the leader is trying to carry. There's like a the separation there. You come to the school, you pay the tuition, you do your job, you don't complain. It doesn't matter if, you'll do a, if I teach you a good class or a bad class. I don't want any questions. You're my student, and you remain my student, and that's it. You know, I impose upon you kind of a cultic, kind of a, you know, and that sometimes can happen. That person who is the instructor has a sense of authority over the student, and he kind of manipulates the student to be, I wouldn't even say in a fear state, but in a humble state where you never question or go beyond questioning the authority of the instructor, not in regards to his authority on the mat teaching, because I think if the instructor is teaching the class, even if the student has an issue, you know, that has to be addressed, it, it can't not happen while the class is happening. You know, it has to happen once the class is up, you know, and you go to the office and you present whatever the issue is and you discuss and see what can take place, you know. And the instructor the same way. You know, the instructor see issues going on. Now, there are some issues from the instructor's point of view that have to be tackled right away. If it has to regard to safety, you know, you cannot wait until you go to the office. You deal with it right away. If it has to deal with inappropriate behavior, somebody's cussing or somebody's de being disrespectful to a female student, being belligerent and stuff, that has to be curbed right on the spot because, you know, you've got to put the fire down before it becomes a blaze, you know. So uh, those things right there need immediate action from the, the instructor. But in regards to what does that, what does that have to do with loyalty, you know? And I think one of the issues that questions loyalty is when there are favoritism in a school. The instructor gives preference or favorite, make, make favorites out of some students and neglect others okay so that, that's kind of like a behavior that's kind of like you know you go to the academy and you see the instructor staying on one corner and he never leaves he never walks around and reach everybody when everybody should have the same degree of attention respect and consideration so for me that's a flaw and that is a reason for a student to question the instructor and consider not remaining a loyal student uh, at other times, to in regard the other way around, if a student, for instance, has an agenda, he goes to a gym, not to be a training partner to anybody, not to be a team player. He's somebody who has an agenda of eventually venturing on his own, and he checks this place here, he checks that place there, he goes to other places, and he tries to figure out which place he can kind of spread out his business cards, you know, and kind of entice some of the guys to train his garage. And eventually when he goes and venture, rent out a gym somewhere or starts teaching somewhere, could be his own place, or he teaches at another guy's place and then cuts the price down behind the, the back of the instructor. Uh, you know, I've been a victim of that, you know, back in the old days where I had students that were my students and they would offer their services to students of mine, paying students, saying, I train with Carlos, you know, why do you have to train with Carlos and pay Carlos the full tuition when you can train with me and pay half? You know, so you have the undermining, you know, and, and you know, the funny thing is like when people cheat 
like that, they think they're cheating the instructor. Because actually they are doing the instructor a favor. If the instructor doesn't have the value to provide a class that's so good that if that guy comes and makes the offer to a customer, the customer will look at him and say, I'm sorry, but I'm staying with this guy here. I'm happy here. So I think the instructor, of course, has always to strive to keep his service to the maximum. But with that said, it doesn't change the fact that there'll be people there kind of like they're always on the fence. And uh, when opportunities like that take place, they'll jump, you know, into other grass area, you know, other jump the fence and go somewhere else. And, and, but in doing so, that guy actually, the guy who's thinking about cheating the instructor by undermining and cutting him behind his back and soliciting the students, offering a better deal or a lesser price to take the guys away, he's doing the instructor a favor because he's emptying out the space and the academy of people that likely they didn't have any degree of loyalty if the instructor is doing his job and he empties out the space and vacates for all the other ones who come and value and appreciate what they get with the, you know, the head instructor. So, and, and the other thing too that I see, if that happened in the past, and I've seen that happening on and on, guys that usually act like that, it's kind of like a, a script that it's like history repeating itself over and over again. So he does that to one instructor, take the students that want to leave for, you know, for a better price, and then eventually some students from the guy's location, they will do the same to him and charge less again. And then, uh, so it becomes a, a race to the bottom. Let's see who, you know, and this is one of the things that at one point in time, uh, when I was in Brazil, was a trend that, trend that was starting to take place that eventually, it never happened before in Brazil, but you would have blue belts teaching, blue belts in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu teaching at different schools as the, the instructor, but they're charging 10 bucks, 20 bucks. I don't even know who, uh, I mean, equivalent to the Brazilian currency. You know, it was kind of like, I mean, I don't even know, that guy couldn't make a living, period. And uh, the standards were substandards. You know, but I'm not trying here to change the world or say that things are right or wrong. I'm just saying, when you have loyalty at stake, this is another behavior that doesn't show any loyalty, not only towards the instructor, but towards yourself and the group. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and a lot of times those guys become black sheep and they are recognized no matter where they are, no matter where they go. Oh, that guy right there. Huh. You know? So, uh, but the, the thing about blind loyalty that kind of hits the most for me in terms of describing my understanding of it is... When you believe you should follow somebody and all of a sudden you don't do that any longer because of your belief, but because you're afraid to displease the person you follow. You ha you're mentally in a state of submission. You don't question. You see like Game of Thrones, for instance, the different characters, the monarchs, they're corrupt. They don't care about the, their people, they're backstabbing everybody, they're killing people left and right, and they still have those servants that out of fear or submission, they'll stay with that guy, the most evil person. You know, the guy killed your own family, and you're still working for that guy. You don't want to, you know, because you, I guess you think that the guy is going to watch out for you, you know? The guy wipes out your whole family, 
and then you think he's going to be nice to you just because you, you didn't contest, you know. And I understand you could be fearful, you don't have anywhere to go, it's a survival game. But when you talk about blind loyalty, you can't follow somebody who shows carelessness for other people. If you, if you have an instructor who takes care of his school, but he's a terrible person towards other instructors in other schools, that's a question because that's a question of character. I don't think it's fair or right. Even if we have competitive businesses or opposing businesses, you know, even if you have a competitor, I do not wish ill to my competitor and I'm not gonna try to do something to sabotage a competitor behind his back just so I can have the edge on my business. You see what I'm saying? It's uh, uh, the, when, you, when you race to elevate, the race is not against anybody else, it's against your own self. You want to improve your own level of success. You want to develop your own system to become successful. Of course, you're going to learn from everybody, even from your competitors. And I don't have any problem with it. If a guy uses a good marketing, I mean, it's not uncommon for you to see, uh, especially with websites back in the old days, you see a cool website and this other guy is a competitor of you. <laughs> you go to your website, literally copy and paste. It happened to us, yeah. you know. And uh, copy and paste your website, just change the word of the name of the school and, and a few things here and there. Even if the, the funny thing, even if there was like a, a grammar or a typo that accidentally was not fixed on our website, we, we would see the same typo on the guy's website. So if I was doing forensics here, ah, that's the proof of the crime right there. I got my magnifier lens and said, I told you, you are a criminal. You cheated. You copy and pasted my website. I'm suing you, you know, pay me 10 bowls of acai and give me, uh, you know, free tickets to the movies, you know. So uh, anyhow, I, I don't give a crap. I mean, people, when they act poorly, they're going to get poor results. Even if they make money and have a, a, a certain degree of success, if that happens because all the things that they're doing are working or they got a quick fix or like a, a quick cheat, you know, it's sure, sure bet that what starts wrong cannot end up right. See what I'm saying? If it starts wrong, it can end up right. It can be apparent, can have the appearance of right, but it's going to be that wrong sooner than later. And I think when you talk about the law of karma, you know, that cycle of life, what well, you do something wrong here, you're going to pay down there. I remember back in the old days, I'm not sure if it was because I was a kid and time seemed to be more stretched out. You know, I would feel like, man, this guy is bad. He's stealing, he's you know, being bad, he's uh, corrupt, uh, he's doing all these different things, being abusive to his wife, cheating on his wife, not paying attention on his, with, to his kids, all kind of crazy, you know, negative, bad behavior. And the guy was still, uh, from the eyes of society, he was still on the magazines, uh, on the headlines, the fancy cars, you know, and the, appear the appearance of a lifestyle that he was happy. But I know when people act like that, they can't be happy. They just try to escape from their own selves. They do mistreat people. They are not fair. They're dishonest. They, they cannot just put their face out there and look at you straight in the eyes. They have to keep moving around and try to entertain themselves, you know, and find a woman here, then cheat on that woman, then find a new, another woman there, then cheat on that woman. So it's like uh, the giant that is never satiated. You eat the whole earth and you still want another planet. You know, we have that 
uh, mythological deem, the, the cyclope that uh, would uh, get off the ocean and try to devour the earth. You know, it's insatiable. But actually, you're running from your own self. It's kind of a sad state because you can't be happy doing that. So, you know, making this big mythological deal here, all I was trying to say is, if you're honest with some and dishonest with the other, there's no such a thing. You're either honest or you are dishonest. You cannot, I'll tell the truth here, I'll tell the truth here, I'll tell the truth here, then I'm on a lie here. You know, because it's just like, it's like you have a water, I'm not trying to sound here politi politically correct. You have a bowl of water and you put a piece of mud on it, it's going to taint the whole thing. You can't drink from that water anymore. You know, it's dirty, just with a small, you know, piece of crap there. So, you know, so I, I just, that's how I feel in regards to loyalty. If you have a guy that he can be good here, good there, but then he has this trait of his, and he does these things, you know. Uh, I mean, I've had guys that I heard that they go drunk to teach. I've seen cases of instructors that they uh, have substance abuse. And a lot of times that transpires beyond their private time or their personal life into their professional life. Uh, and it doesn't happen to doesn't have to happen inside a school while he's active as an instructor. Uh, if the guy just kind of gets caught out in the blue, you know, outdoors, you know, doing his thing, and you know, you, you look at an instructor that looks like a saint when he's on his gi, you know, teaching the class, and then you see that person outside the academy, and he's acting like completely crazy, drunk, picking up fights in bars, or uh, doing some crazy things, you know, that have nothing to do w with with what he teaches and preaches at his school, that's a problem. You know what I'm saying? Uh, unfortunately for that guy, I would say fortunately, but unfortunately for that guy, he can't escape from his role of an instructor. If you choose to be an instructor and nobody's a saint, I'm not a saint, I'm not perfect, I'm not claiming I'm better than anybody, but if I, you choose to be an instructor, you have to be watchful of your actions because you have kids that you teach, you have young adults, you have men and women that put their trust under your supervision. And for you to act in a crazy way, you know, uh, it's really hard if uh, an, a student sees you going crazy out on the street and then, uh, you know, you uh, just, you know, go back to school and pretend that nothing happened. You know, I don't know how I would feel if I did something crazy and then I go back to my school and some of my students or most of my students know about it. I would feel like guilty, embarrassed or anything else because, you know, and I'm not trying to portray something I'm not. But at the same time, I feel that we have the duty to use martial arts to improve ourselves. And that means building character. And if that's the case, you cannot have two lives one in your job and one in your personal, that you're completely opposite than what people perceive you while you are in the instructor's role, okay? So being blindly loyal to somebody like that, uh, it's room for disaster, okay? With that said, uh, this podcast is a timed podcast. You know, it's a good message, I believe, that you guys can take. And I'm going to finish with a quote of the day. And right now what I'm doing is I'm going to just pick whatever quote uh, opens over here. I don't know if it's good or bad. 
this one is about motherhood, I guess. So for you ladies, uh, I'm not sure if this chapter has to do, let me see here, uh, with love, maybe, or family. But this is the deal. What does a woman do for a man? First, she carries him in her womb, nourishes him, and loves him unconditionally. Once he grows up, another woman comes, carries his offspring in her womb, nourishes him, and loves him unconditionally. He is twice blessed. Isn't that a fact? You know what I'm saying? We are blessed by the women, the ones that carry us and the ones that carry our future generation. Twice blessed. Thank you for all the women out there listening to this. Uh, we wouldn't be anywhere where we are, men, if we didn't have our other half on our side in this life's journey on this planet. So this is my message for today. I wish you guys have a wonderful time. I can't wait to see everybody again Monday, next week at 9 a.m., coffee time. Don't forget to share. Don't forget to share. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe. If you're doing any training, training camp competition, Carlos Machado, May 19th, you're going to Paradise in Brazil to train with Higgin and my cousins and Damian Maia. It's on June 2nd that starts. It's called The Camp. And last but not the least, the Miracle Oil. Don't hurt. Just rub it a little bit and you're going to sleep well. I promise. Take care, everybody. Episode 8 is done deal. Thank you.